Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, our text this morning, verses 19 to 34. As we have been exhorted already throughout this service, this morning the Holy Spirit wants us to behold the Lamb of God. The one who takes away not only the sin of the world, but our sin. To see him, to know him, to rest in him. But the only way that's going to be possible for us is if the Holy Spirit comes and does his work in our hearts and lives. So let's ask him to come. Would you pray with me, please? Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would come. We pray that you would come and take your word and use it in ways that are far beyond what we can ask or imagine. Indeed, Holy Spirit, we desire to see with eyes of faith Jesus, the Lamb of God. We desire our hearts to be thrilled once again to know him and to love him. To answer the question, who is Jesus Christ for us today? Lord, please grant us your mercy. Grant us your grace. Grant us your Holy Spirit, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1, then, beginning in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who is Jesus Christ for you today? That, that's the question that John's gospel is driving us to answer. It's asking us this question repeatedly. Focusing our, our faith and trust on Jesus as the Messiah, 
the Son of God, that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. And part of the way that John forces us to this question, who is Jesus Christ for you today, is by bringing various lines of testimony, as well as various signs that point us to the correct answer, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing we might have life in his name. This morning we see that particularly, that this passage focuses on the testimony of John. You see it in chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. Again, in chapter 1, verse 32, uh, John bore witness. And then again in verse 34, he says, I have seen and bore witness. So at the beginning of this section, at the end, it's telling us with this, this bookend, this doorframe, if you will, that all of this represents John's testimony. He's offering eyewitness testimony. He is bearing witness so that we might answer this question correctly. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ for us? Who is Jesus Christ for us today? Friends, there's no more vital question than that one. The, the question is not simply, who was Jesus Christ, as though this is some kind of historical query, as though we're simply looking for the Jesus of history. Nor is the question, who was Jesus Christ for others, for your parents, for your grandparents, for your children, for your friends, for your spouse, for your co-workers. Nor is the question, who is Jesus Christ for you sometime in the past, perhaps when you were 8 or 10 and you first professed faith, or, and then you grew out of that, or you went to college, and now you're trying to sort out the answers. No, no, the question is, who is Jesus Christ for you today? And in order to answer that question today, in this moment, John here is giving you testimony. He's giving you his witness. And his witness centers on answers to two additional questions. First, who is John? And then second, who is Jesus? So notice the first question, who is John? You see that this is actually the question that this delegation from the Pharisees, from official Jerusalem, have come to ask John himself. You see it in verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now it's notable that when John goes to answer that question, who are you, that he begins by, by saying who he is not. Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. My former colleague at Covenant Theological Seminary, Jay Scholar, used to to catechize his students uh, in his Old Testament classes by beginning every class with a series of questions, among which was the question, who are you? And the students would reply, I am not the Christ. And, and Jay was trying to teach the students, these pastors and future ministry leaders, that when you go to a place, you're not going there as the Savior. You're not going there as the Christ or the Messiah. Rather, your task as a pastor, as a ministerial leader, is to point others to the Christ. 
to point others to Jesus, the Messiah. That's what's going on here. John is pointing outside of himself as he confesses. That's what verse 20 says. It's kind of an unusual construction, isn't it? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. Why does John say that? He's clearly denying, isn't he? I mean, he's clearly saying, I'm not the Christ. So why does John put it this way? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. Well, I I think this denial, I am not the Messiah, I am not the Christ, actually has an implicit confession in it that will become clear in the next section. John's saying, I'm not the Christ, but I know who is. I'm not the Messiah, but my task is to point to him, and his name is Jesus. And so here in saying who he is not, that he is not the Christ, John is actually saying something really important about the the answer to the second question, who is Jesus? But he actually offers two other denials. In response to the denial, I am not the Christ, the, the delegation then asks him the question, well then, are you Elijah? Well, why do they ask that? Why do they ask him whether he's Elijah? Well, part of that question comes from Old Testament expectation, and especially the way this, these first century Jews read the Old Testament. The books we call the Minor Prophets in, in, for Jews in the first century were known as the Twelve Writings, the last of which was Malachi. In Malachi chapter 3 and chapter 4, there was prophecy concerning Elijah, that he would come before the final day of the Lord. Perhaps uh, Jewish interpreters thought that because Elijah was taken up into heaven alive, that he would come as the living one to bring the end of the age, to bring the curtain down on human history, and to restore the kingdom once again to Israel. And so it's with this end-of-time expectation that the delegation asks John the Baptist, are you Elijah? And he answers, I am not. But then they ask him one last thing. Are you the prophet? Again, I ask you, what's that about? What's, who's the prophet? Well, that language concerning the prophet comes from Deuteronomy 18. There, towards the end of Moses' life, in Deuteronomy 18, he promised that God would raise up another prophet like him. And the expectation of the Old Testament would be that there would be a final prophet who would declare the word of God perfectly and point Israel in the the end of times to to God through his powerful preaching, his prophetic witness, just like the lawgiver Moses, so the prophet would do. And so they asked, John, are you this prophet? And while John certainly was a prophet, when he's asked whether he's the prophet, he says, no, that's not who I am. Now, at this point, you can almost feel sorry for this delegation, right? They've asked him three different ways. Who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And he says, no, no, no. And finally, they say in exasperation, well, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And it's an answer to that question that John says who he is. Look at verse 23. When he responds to that final question, he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. 
You hear what John's saying here? He's quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And he says, I am the voice calling Israel to repentance. I am the voice preparing the way of the Lord. I am the, the voice who is the witness to the one who is the Messiah, the one who is to come. You do not know him, but I know him. That's his answer. He's the voice. Now we know this about John, don't we? We know it already from what we saw in the prologue. We're going to see it in the rest of this gospel that, that he's going to be pointed to as the one who actually prepared the way of the Lord. The one who actually served as a witness concerning who the Christ is, whose baptism of repentance actually prepared the hearts of at least some of God's people to receive Jesus as the Messiah. But I wonder this morning if you're ready to listen to his voice. If you're ready to hear John's testimony, because he does say that he's not worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. He tells us that he's simply a voice, an instrument, that, that Jesus is actually everything, as the hymn writer put it. Jesus is the priceless treasure. He's the purest source of pleasure. He's the truest friend to me. When John points beyond himself to Jesus, he actually tells us something about himself, yes, but he ultimately tells us something about Jesus. I wonder, are you willing to hear his voice? Are you willing to receive this testimony? Because the fact of the matter is, is that all too often we live as though we're the most important thing in the universe. That we are the real treasure, the priceless treasure. We are our own source of pleasure. We are our own best friends. And we think and live as though the universe is centered on us. On our desires, our likes, our preferences. And woe to those who cross us in any given way. We'll break relationship will go the other way. I wonder if you're willing to hear John's voice this morning. A voice that's ultimately pointing you to the, to the answer to the question, the most important question you can be asked this morning. Namely, who is Jesus? When, when John answers this second question, he, he does so not in front of this delegation. By verse 29, it's the next day. Apparently, the delegation sent from Jerusalem has gone back. We're not exactly certain who is around when, when John passes Jesus on the way. You see verse 29? The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. And when he sees Jesus, what does he say? He says, behold, look, see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why does John say that? Why does John tell whoever is nearby, whoever is looking at him, whoever can hear his voice, why does he say, stop, look, behold, see, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Surely for those who heard John with this exclamation, with this identification, with this witness, surely for those who heard John, their minds were cast back to the Old Testament scriptures. And they understood, they filled full the meaning of what John was trying to say. Perhaps their minds were taken back all the way to, to the book of Genesis, to Genesis 22. You remember the scene. Abraham and Isaac are making their way three days journey to Mount Moriah. And as, as Isaac is carrying the instruments, the elements for his own sacrifice, the sacrifice of the one and only son, 
the beloved son, he asks his father, Father, where is the lamb for the offering? To which Abraham responds, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And they get to the top of Mount Moriah. And Abraham takes his one and only son, his beloved son, and he binds him with with the cords for the sacrifice, and he places him on the altar, and he's about ready to plunge the knife into his child when the angel of the Lord stops him and says, do not harm the child. And then Abraham looks up, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so perhaps... Perhaps when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, God's people who heard him thought, Oh, he's the substitute. Maybe their minds went back to the Exodus. After nine plagues, the tenth has come, the most frightening of them all, that God would bring judgment upon all the firstborn, human firstborn, and animal firstborn. And the only ones who would be accepted out of that, of that judgment, of the wrath and curse of God, were those who heard the word of God. Namely, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of, every, uh, of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's household. And Israel was to take the lamb and was to sacrifice the lamb and to take the blood and put it over the doorframe so that when the angel of death came and he saw the blood, he would pass over and the wrath and curse would move beyond them. It would pass over them and they would be set free. So that perhaps when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, God's people thought, Oh wait, he's the one who delivers us from the wrath and curse of God. Or maybe their minds went back to Leviticus chapter 16 and the instruction concerning the Day of Atonement. On that one day each year, the high priest was to take a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he was to sacrifice them and he was to take the blood into the Holy of Holies. And there in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the broken law of God. On top of the broken law of God was this gold uh, 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 covering called the mercy seat. And one day a year, the priest was to come with the blood from the lamb and was to pour the blood out on the mercy seat, covering the broken law of God. And in that way, God said in Leviticus 16, thus shall he make atonement for the sins of the people. And so perhaps... Perhaps God's people, when they heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they said, Oh, he's the atoning sacrifice. It's his blood that cleanses us from every and all sin. Or maybe, just maybe, when they heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God, their minds went back to Isaiah 53. And they went back to those verses you've already heard in the assurance of pardon. That this great servant would come to bear the iniquity of us all. And after that beautiful verse 6, it gets right to the heart of the gospel. They would have remembered that Isaiah declared he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that's before its shears silent. So he opened not his mouth. And they said, oh This one is the sin bearer who is the willing sacrifice for our sins. 
Friends, all that imagery is there. When John said, behold, look, see the Lamb of God, he was saying, here is your substitute. Here is your deliverer. Here is your atoning sacrifice that cleanses you from sin. Here is the willing sacrifice who was willing to go to the cross for you. And he was telling it not just to those in the first century, my friends. He's saying to you today, here he is. Look. See. Behold. And live. Look and live. That's what... That what's, that's what God's calling you to this morning. Is to see in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who not only takes away the sin of all sorts of people in his world, but takes away your sin. Why is that the case? Why is it the case that looking at Jesus as the Lamb of God, why is it that that actually leads to salvation, leads to your sanctification, will ultimately lead to your glorification, the resurrection on the last day. Why is it that looking and living is all that's required of you? My friends, it's because the Lamb of God is in fact the Son of God. He's not a teacher. He's not a, an example He's not some kind of accessory that you add to your life. No, this one whom John is pointing to and calling you to look at, to behold, to see, is in fact the very Son of God. He gets at that in two ways. First, he tells us that, that, that Jesus is in fact the one who's come after him and yet is actually before him. Not only in rank, but temporally so. You see it in verse 30. He says, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now John very well knew. And we know as readers of the Gospels that Jesus was actually born after John. But John is saying he's not only before me in rank, he's before me in time. Now, how is that possible if Jesus was born after John? Well, it's only possible if what the Apostle John in this gospel has, has already told us is in fact true. That in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. You see, John is telling us here that Jesus is in fact the eternal one. The one who was before but he tells us something else. He tells us that Jesus is in fact the anointed one. The one who, upon whom the Spirit rests, but the one who also gives the Spirit. He says that in verse 32. John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, there were others who were anointed with the Spirit in the Old Testament. Priests were anointed with the Spirit. Prophets were anointed with the Spirit. Kings were anointed with the Spirit. And the sign of that was the anointing with oil. But here is the difference in what John is saying. Jesus was not only anointed with the Spirit. The Spirit didn't simply come down and rest upon him. But Jesus is actually the one who gives the Spirit. 
who is able to baptize us, immerse us with the Spirit. Friends, the only one who can give the Spirit of God is God himself. And so John gives these two lines of evidence and then finally testifies in verse 34. And I have seen and bore, have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is in fact the Son of God. And the reason why you can look at Jesus as the Lamb of God and live and be rescued and be saved and be transformed is because he is the very Son of God. Which brings you back to the question. Who is Jesus Christ for you today? You undoubtedly have heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was uh, executed at age 39. He was a German Protestant pastor and theologian, executed on the final orders of Hitler. Hitler commits suicide on April 6, 1945. Bonhoeffer is executed three days later. But the year before he's executed, in 1944, when there's some hope, perhaps, that, that the execution that he expected might not happen, Bonhoeffer wrote a, a letter to his best friend, Eberhard Bethgei. And in the midst of the letter, he wrote this, What keeps gnawing at me is the question, what is Christianity? Or, who is Christ actually for us today? In the rest of the letter, you find out that Bonhoeffer worried that for far too many people, Christianity was simply religion. Human actions that were meant to gain some measure of power or control over the sorrows and difficulties of this life. But as Bonhoeffer sat in a prison cell, knowing that he would likely die, he knew that religion couldn't actually meet the deepest needs of his heart and life. He wanted Jesus to be the very center of everything, of his life, of reality, of human existence itself. He wanted Jesus to be his priceless treasure, his, his surest source of pleasure. He wanted Jesus to be his truest friend. I wonder how you would answer that question this morning then. Would you want Jesus at the center? Can you say, is, is Jesus your savior? The lamb of God who's taken away your sin, your substitute, your deliverer. Your cleansing sacrifice, your willing sacrifice, so that you're resting upon him, not just for now, but for eternity. Is Jesus your Lord? And you'd walk out of here today saying, yes, he is my Lord. What he says, I will do. Where he sends, I will go. Whatever he brings must be right, because Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he is my Lord. Or is Jesus something else? An intellectual idea, a moral example, a great teacher— a crutch, a means to an end, an accessory that you've added on to your life? What's your testimony? Who is Jesus Christ for you today? Let's pray together. Almighty God, that's the most important question we can answer today. And we can't simply rest on answers we gave yesterday or the day before. Help us answer it today. And Lord, I pray that you would grant us grace to say, Jesus, you are my Savior. You are my Lord. You are my Lamb. You are the Son of God. You're mine and I'm yours. And whatever you want to do with me, okay. Lord, please grant us that grace that we might find 
in Jesus, a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein, that we might see in him the Lamb of God who is the Lion of Judah, the true King who's in fact the servant of all. Lord, may we rest our hearts, may we look and live this day. Grant us this grace, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.